0: The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Rack and
1: Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security. This is the newscast for Episode 60 for the week of March 26th. Alex, this is the last week of Q1 of 2018. It's gone fast.
0: It has gone really fast. Um, I feel
1: like it just vanished um, there were a lot of other, other things I wanted to get done in the first quarter that I think are still ongoing. Yeah. It, it's just amazing. It seems the older we get, the faster time goes. And hopefully hopefully, we keep getting older. So I guess time's going to keep getting faster. It's also spring. It's spring. Spring has sprung. Yeah. Yeah. And, and actually, it's not only officially spring. It actually feels it, like spring, It does too. feel like
0: spring. Beautiful day.
1: Yeah. Uh, 70 degrees yesterday, I think it was. We had, at, at Ping, we had an, an outdoor little happy hour thing. It's, it's been nice. a good time. Nice. All right. So, so as a reminder, we do have a Slack channel now, well over uh, 350 people. This is a great opportunity for you to get to know the community here in Denver. Um, we talk to talk to folks like yourself at different positions, and it's a good way to get to socialize with people. Yeah, we've started to add even
0: additional channels in the, the Slack group. So we had one uh, this week on uh, studying for the CISSP. So some yeah. people were interested in talking about that. So there's a channel out there for that
1: now. So come and check it out. Yeah. Next reminder: we have a Patreon campaign. Uh, Patreon is a, a place where you can go to be an ongoing sponsor of the show to support us. Alex and I, you know, we we fund this out of our own pocket. We've had a couple of folks come along and, and sponsor us, and we really appreciate that very much. Yeah, and all of the money that we get through
0: Patreon will go back into the podcast. This is not something that we're looking to profit off of. So it'll either go to uh, hosting fees or equipment or. You know, once we get to the
1: point where we're we're covering costs, maybe we'll start doing some other cool stuff, too. Yeah, absolutely. So we we do want to say a big thank you to our current Patreons. We've got uh, five of you out there who are sponsoring us. So thank you very much for what you're doing. Yeah, it's awesome. So let's jump into the news. Uh, First, we had an article this week. Uh, Denver was a top 10 U.S. city for entrepreneurs. Uh, and some familiar cities on that list with us with uh, obviously San Francisco and Austin and Portland, Seattle, uh, a, a, a lot of good stuff, but just goes to show what we knew that Denver has a thriving startup environment and it's recognized here in the in the study.
0: Yeah. And uh, just to be clear on that, they said top 10 because we were number 10, um, which is still great. But the things that they were looking for were areas that had startup friendliness um, as well as... Uh, Beneficial financial environments and good
1: demographics in the culture. Yeah. Uh, Looking at the next uh, article, we have a, a story around the blockchain technology being used in the state of Colorado. we I think we talked about this a while back when there was a, pr- a proposed law or there was a request that the OIT, the Office of Information Technology, look into using blockchain in, for the state. Uh, and this article just talks a little bit more that they're still thinking about it. Uh, and there's a, a couple quotes from Vance Brown, who's the CEO of the National Cybersecurity Center in the Springs, talking about how he thinks this would be a good thing. Yeah, I mean... I think
0: both you and I are still a little skeptical of the blockchain. um, But it it really, I think you have the opportunity that you could do something uh, with it. I'm not sure if we're really to the point where we need to start pushing it on something as important as all of our government data. But I I think the thinking about it, doing
1: research, um, going down that road, not a bad idea. So I've come around a little bit on the blockchain. so so number one, I, I think I, we've talked about this before. I don't think we should refer to it as blockchain. I think we should talk about distributed ledgers because blockchain is a pretty poor implementation of a distributed ledger with really high transaction costs, really bad energy inefficiency. Um, but distributed ledger as a way for us to ensure one of the three pillars of our triad, right? We have confidentiality, integrity, and availability as the you know, core building blocks of security, and, and I really firmly believe that distributed ledgers can, can very quickly and very well assure integrity, not only integrity, but non-repudiation as well, where we can make sure we know who made what change at what time in the blockchain or yeah. the ledger. Yeah, great point.
0: And, and to your point also earlier, there is a bill currently around uh, using blockchain in the Colorado state government, and it is right now in the
1: Senate Appropriations yeah. Committee. So still early on in the process for that. Um, so we we have an article in here in the, from the Denver Post, um, pay us Bitcoin or you'll never see your files again. And it's really just a, kind of a walkthrough of what ransomware looks like. The reason we call this out is this would be another one of those good articles for you to share with your less technical friends and family who may not know what this is. It's written by Tamara Chung, the, the tech reporter for Denver Post. And it's written in such a way that non-IT people can understand what's going on here.
0: Yeah. And it's actually a pretty in-depth article too. It, it's Fairly long, uh, lots of uh, stuff in there. One of the uh, things that I pulled out of it, they said that uh, over a billion dollars has been paid in ransom uh, so far. It's a pretty good market, right? It's a pretty good market. Yeah. All right. Uh, Next, uh, there was an audit of the Colorado uh, Substance Abuse Treatment Program that revealed some gaps in the state's data security practices. So uh, it looked like reading the article, what this boiled down to was Uh, They don't have great termination processes in the uh, substance abuse uh, area. It looked like they weren't fully leveraging uh, the state's uh, OIT, the centralized resources for this. And I think we've all been at a point where we've been somewhere where we're not terminating people as quickly as we should. We're not doing all of those steps to make sure that someone who doesn't need to have, have access to data anymore doesn't have access to it. If you've ever
1: been through any kind of an audit the auditors will always, always, always go for provisioning and deprovisioning. Right, yep. It's an easy thing for them to look to. They want to see a ticket that shows when it happened and when it was supposed to happen, what their last day was, and make sure it all matches up. And and if you don't do that well, it's going to get called out in the audit. So this is not surprising at all. Yeah, and I think in this
0: case, there were actually still some accesses that were there, not just documentation errors. So,
1: so the NIWOT high uh, the next article here is about the NIWAT Girls Cybersecurity Team. So this is goes back to that story we talked about uh, well a few months ago around the Girls Go Cyber program. Um, this is a, there was a couple different teams from NIWAT who competed in Girls Go Cyber, um, and this one of the teams finished first in all of Colorado and ninth across the uh, the whole country. That's awesome!
0: Congratulations to them. Uh, you know it's really great to see this push for young people in STEM and cybersecurity. <laughs> Um, along with, you know, cyber patriots and all this other stuff. Great that there are all these opportunities out there. One thing that I pulled out of that article was that uh, they noted that it's uh, in the global cybersecurity workforce, it is still 11% uh, women and
1: 25% in information technology over- yeah. overall. Yes, yeah, so we just don't have a huge number of women in security. And this, you know, Girls Go Cyber is a good way to start helping with that that pipeline, right? For sure. Um, Coal Fire has
0: named their COO to be its new CEO. So, uh, Larry Jones, who was the CEO who stepped in, uh, after Rich Dakin, um, unexpectedly passed away a, a few years ago, has decided to retire and, uh, Tom McAndrew, who has been at Coal Fire for 12 years,
1: um, is stepping up to be CEO, moving out of that COO role. So big congratulations to Tom. Yeah. That's, that sounds like a good thing for him. And, Uh, It's good to see them promoting from within rather than grabbing some other industry name and and doing that. I I love to see new opportunities for folks internally. Hopefully, they find their new COO from internally as well. There you go. Uh, Next story from a local security company, CyberGRX has been selected to be a finalist for RSA's uh, Innovation Sandbox. So anyone who's ever been to RSA Conference, the Innovation Sandbox, is you're probably familiar with it. It's a pretty cool thing. They have these this kind of room set aside for the sandbox where they, I think they get somewhere it was like six to eight um, of the kind of hot upcoming technologies, put them in a room and everyone kind of goes through and, and reviews them all. They have little like quick presentations for the, for the group. Then there, there's a vote to say, you know, which of these is kind of the, the innovation company of the year. And, and that, and they end up winning.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Congratulations to them. I, I think it's also one of those areas where, uh, you know, a, a younger, up-and-coming kind of company can participate in RSA because it is not cheap to, yeah. uh, you know, to get a booth and, and be an official part of, of RSA. So that that innovation sandbox really highlights some of those uh, new up-and-coming vendors.
1: Yeah. So even if they don't win, there's this is awesome exposure for them. They're they're going to have thousands, tens yeah. of thousands of people probably come across them because of this opportunity. Um, and of, of course, if they win, that be even bigger. So big congratulations to those guys.
0: Yep. Uh, Red Canary had a blog this week, uh, How an IT Service Provider and Red Canary Stopped a Malware Outbreak. So basically, um, a little case study here on incident response and how uh, Red Canary went through that with one of their customers. A uh, couple uh, takeaways there at the end of the article. Um, good overview again on on how you should be prepared and, and be ready for an incident.
1: Yeah. I, I love these kind of blogs and articles because they give us a, a view into what actually happened at a company. and. What this does is it shows you, you know, case study for a place that has an, an outsourced IT provider in combination with Red Canary. How do those three work together effectively to really reduce this risk and, and get, recover a lot more quickly than they would have otherwise? Yeah, exactly.
0: Uh, next, WebRoot also had a blog, uh, Spectre Meltdown and the Climb Exploit. Uh, this is another sort of primer article. It had uh, some details on uh, you know, vulnerabilities and, um, exploits, exploits and and malware and malware. Yeah. Yeah, Lots of, of definitions. Um, not necessarily for your, your seasoned, uh, security professional there, but again,
1: an an article that you can use to help, um, explain some of these concepts to people. Yeah. If you're one of the many secure set students or graduates listening, this might be a good way for you (laughs) to get a primer on what those things are. Uh, Last article here for this week is a blog from IntelliSecure about properly framing the cost of a data breach with executives and boards. So this is by Jeremy Witkop who's their CTO over there, and I, I was really impressed by this article. He he took some data that we've or, it's already been out there. I think he mostly used the uh, the Ponemon cost of a data breach report, uh, but looked through the data to find some new angles on it, rather than you know. The way it currently or normally is presented, it's a kind of a linear function. How many records get breached impacts the cost in a linear fashion. And what Jeremy found as he was doing this research is that it's not really linear. It's really, um, it's really. There's a few inflection points where it goes from you know a gradual curve to a really steep curve to a steeper. You know, the the and these inflection points are around how much publicity you have around your breach, how much. Um, you know, is it only known by folks like us in the security industry, or does it start to get known by, you know, local reporters, or then does it get to national news where it's on the front page of, right. uh, you know, Bloomberg, in which case, all of a sudden, you know, the costs just skyrocket per record. So interesting perspective. Uh, and I think his his point on this was, you know, by knowing the kind of data and the amount of data you have, you can get an idea what's your worst case scenario, for a company that's you know 500 people and has the data for you know, a few thousand people, you're never going to be on the front page of Bloomberg. Um, so you're never probably going to have that steep of, a, of an angle. But if you're, you know, if, if you're, if you, if you're Facebook, Facebook and you yeah. let,
0: you know, let people scrape 50 million user profiles, then, yeah. you know,
1: you have a pretty big, uh, you know, worst case scenario. And he, the numbers he showed for the the economic damage done to Equifax was startling. It was in the many billions of dollars, the damage. And his his argument would be, it is that there was no reasonable amount of security spend that would have been too much to, to avoid this, that... As you, look at, as, as you look at the results here, you know, going and spending an extra billion dollars in security would have made sense for Equifax because of the potential out, uh, impact for them. Whereas, of course, for most organizations, it just simply wouldn't make sense. Yep, exactly. So uh,
0: that is our news. Well, we will jump over to our trivia question. So last week, the, uh, the trivia was who was Colorado's first official CISO? And the you can get bonus points if uh, you could say what they've been doing since. So we did not get a winner this week. We got several oh, guesses. We had lots of guesses. Yeah. Um, and all of the guesses were former CISOs of the state of Colorado, but they were not the first. Right. So the correct answer is Mark Weatherford. He was the first official CISO with uh, that title. Uh, prior to him, Harley Reinerson... Uh, essentially was the CISO, but did not have that official yeah. title. He played the role, but didn't have the
1: official statu- statutory title.
0: Yep. And then uh, since that, Mark has been a CISO for California, a CSO for NERC, Deputy Undersecretary for Cybersecurity. He was a principal at Chertoff Group, and he is the chief cybersecurity strategist at v Arbor. So he has been very busy since. Yeah, absolutely. He's been, he's done a lot of cool stuff. Yep.
1: And he is still in Colorado. I don't think I knew that. Yeah, I think he's down in Castle Rock huh. or something like that. That's cool. Yeah. Hey, Mark. Hopefully you're listening then. All right. Um, So talking with Andre Geta, our sponsor for Trivia, we've decided to change things up a little bit here rather than asking you another trivia question this week. um, We want to acknowledge some some of the cool stuff we've seen in the Slack channel. So um, going forward here, at least for a little while, we're going to each week pick a a message from the Slack channel that we thought was the message of the week, and we're going to give that person uh, the prize. So if you want to be considered for this, obviously you need to get into the Slack channel,
0: Uh, as we mentioned earlier, you can find the Slack channel on our website. Uh, There's a nice little button there that'll get you uh, into the Slack channel. So come on, participate. Um, Say things that are are witty and insightful and intelligent and maybe you'll get picked. Or just make me
1: laugh. That could be too. (laughs) that That'll work too. So, but this, we do have a winner this week from Curtis Helsley. Um, We had a discussion. I think the discussion was really all around um, what had happened with Uber and some of the other, actually in Facebook, uh, where we had some companies making decisions that go against uh, best practices from a, a security and maybe even ethical perspective. And, and Curtis pointed that out just to say security and privacy are quickly becoming moral problems, not merely business problems. He had a much longer uh, comment than this. If you guys want to check it out, go ahead and do the Slack channel. But good job, Curtis, and we'll reach out to you with your uh, with your prize. Awesome.
0: So let's move into our upcoming events. As always, you can check out the website and see the full event calendar there. Uh, we've got events nearly to the end of the year now, yeah. so I know definitely all into October and November. Yeah, yeah. so uh, go check it out. Plan the rest of your year. Uh, first event we have on there: Secure Set. Uh, they are having their career conversations
1: with Karen Warstall. And that's on March 27th. Also on the 27th is the GDPR meetup. Uh, Carlin Dornbush has been putting this together. Good opportunity to talk about privacy and what the impacts of GDPR are going to be. This particular meeting is about GDPR and the legal basis for processing. Is consent really required?
0: Uh, On the 29th, ISSA Colorado Springs is doing their fifth annual Cyber
1: Focus Day. That's kind of their their second biggest conference of the year. They have their big one in August, but this is a a big full-day conference as well uh, with good speakers. Hopefully, you guys can make it to that. On the 3rd of April, SecureSet has a Hacking 101 workshop, Intro to Threat Analysis. Uh, There is a critical infrastructure
0: hackathon going on on April 6th through the 8th. Uh, We had some information passed to us regarding this. Um, I believe it's something that you have to sign up for, I think, as a team, but I'm not positive. Um, but we've got a link in there to it.
1: Uh, go check it out. Uh, could be interesting. And then a uh, final event for the next couple of weeks is, action. yet again, Colorado Springs ISSA is going to be doing a Security Plus uh, prep course. So they have a two-week it's, – it's two days um, of, of prep for Security Plus. The first day is going to be on April 7th. The second day is the week after on April 14th. There's a link in the show notes. It's really affordable. This is a really good chance for you guys to get that basic security knowledge. Uh,
0: One of my employees recently got his uh, security plus, went to that. And uh, I don't know if that was the reason why he passed or not, but uh, he did enjoy the prep work. Awesome.
1: Congratulations. Uh, So uh, let's jump over to jobs. Yeah, let me to start these off. I think you can probably start, Rob. Yeah, I got a, I got a few ping identity jobs here. Uh, the first one on the list is a senior security analyst. This is going to be someone helping us with our infrastructure security program. Need someone who's strong with Linux, uh, having strong networking, and it'd be awesome if the person had AWS experience as well. Really looking for someone who knows security operations and can help us with you know kind of centralization of alerts and alert workflow management. All that stuff would be fantastic. Uh, that one's not actually posted on the website yet. Send me a note if you're interested, and, and I will be happy to to help get this figured out. We'll, we'll probably get it posted next week, but i um, love to talk to you about it. Next is an infrastructure security specialist, which is a little bit more junior position on the same team, kind of helping do security operations and, and work on the tooling for the security program. And then the third one is our GRC analyst, which is uh, kind of a, a zero to two years experience they're going to help us with our compliance program, working on SOC audits, ISO twenty seven thousand one audits, um, GDPR, all that fun compliance stuff. All right. Uh, next, Red Robin is looking for a
0: director of risk, compliance, and security.
1: Very cool. Um, we we know a couple of the former uh, directors over there. Bill yep. Bill Randall and Merlin Namath. If you like hamburgers and PCI, you should check that one out. Yeah, they both told me that they can't. You can't possibly imagine how much Red Robin you eat in that job. So hopefully that's a good thing. Uh, the, the city and County of Denver is hiring an information security manager. So if you want to work for the, the best dressed CISO in town, Steve Corey, this is your opportunity. Gates Corp is looking for a senior security engineer. Uh, Sam Masiello is the CISO over there. Sam is a fantastic guy. We've had him on the show. Um, I, I think it'd be a fantastic place to work with Sam. Finalist for CISO of the year last year. He certainly was. Um, guild education is hiring a security engineer. SecureWorks is looking for a senior security program manager. Uh, PwC is hiring a cloud security
0: manager. And finally, FireEye is looking for an associate security consultant.
1: All right. I think that's the end of news for this week. We do have, a, of course, as always, a feature interview. Alex, this week you sat down with Casey Smith from Red Canary and uh, talked about the Atomic Red team, right?
0: Yeah, so Casey is uh, giving a pre-conference workshop at Rocky Mountain Information Security Conference, uh, which we did not talk about as part of our uh, events right. earlier. Um, but so if you want to get in-depth on that, you can go sign up for the class. If you want to get a, a primer and, and hear what it is and what it's all about, uh,
1: that's a lot of what we talk about uh, in the interview. So it's so, really good. So you guys may or may not be aware that Alex and I have, have been helping put together the program for RMISC and including the pre-conference trainings. And we specifically reached out to Red Canary and said, we want you to do an atomic red team uh, session because um, we, I think, I, I believe that everyone out there should learn how, how to test their program in this kind of a way. Um, while they're a vendor, they're not, they don't sell an atomic red team service. This yep. is just a thing that they do for the community. And uh, it's really cool. Yeah, the the
0: framework and all the tools that they have around that are free. You can go get it from their GitHub, and uh, I believe that Casey mentions that in the interview. Cool. All right, Alex. Thanks for your time. We'll talk to you next week.
1: This is David Mackey, Director of Cyber Defense with General Motors. You are listening to Colorado Equal Security for Colorado Security Professionals by Colorado Security Professionals.
0: This is Alex Wood. Um, And we are doing our feature interview. Today, we are talking to Casey Smith, uh, Director of Applied Research at Red Canary. How's it going, Casey? Good. Real good. Awesome. Um, So I don't know that many people that, well, I'm sure some people know you that that listen to the show, Um, but for those that don't, why don't we give them an opportunity to to hear a little bit about you and uh, where you came from what you've done in security, how you got to where you are today?
2: Sure. Yeah. So, I've been doing security probably since about 2000. I started... uh, I was working as a pre-sales engineer for Cisco and got involved in security and kind of fell in love with it at that point. Uh, And so, back then it was firewalls, VPNs and, you know, networking route switch kind of a thing. Uh, And then I fell into some like development and started doing like security development like from like 2003 to mid-2000s and then... Uh, the latest gig I had was before I came over here was working at First Bank uh, up in Lakewood. Uh, I was a security analyst up there and was there for a while doing both like incident response and red teaming. Uh, and so kind of fell into doing some research and like uh, like one of the things I really love is like researching whitelisting evasion tactics. And nice. that's been my real passion. Like just finding things like holes in that and like where, where how to fix it uh, has been a lot of fun. So, yeah. Cool.
0: Yeah. Uh, I've uh, former customer, customer of Colorado's bank for you. Okay. First there you bank. go. There you go. Nice. <laughs> Good stuff. So I appreciate you keeping my money safe yep. when, when I was over there. Yep. Um, so one of the things that we wanted to talk about today, I, we can jump right into it is some of the work that you guys have been doing here, uh, research around the, uh, what you guys are calling the atomic red team framework. Yep. So uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about what that framework is? Um, how you guys came to looking at that, what it encompasses, all that kind of thing.
2: Sure, yeah, so Atomic Red Team, like we, uh, we we think of like atomic testing for like software development. So like think like unit testing is where the term Atomic Red Team came from. And you're, Red you're Team- not to, You're not trying to blow stuff not, up. Not nuclear stuff, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the idea was, uh, how do we test these products that we're deploying? What we found was, specifically the Red Canary was like customers like, um, they didn't work testing. Well, right. So they would, they would deploy something and they would just download some malware and say, you caught it or you didn't catch it. And we're like, well, that's not really testing EDR. Right. We need, we need to test like post exploitation activity, like lateral movement, persistence, uh, credential access. So we came up with atomic red team uh, primarily based on the MITRE attack framework. I'm sure, I don't know you're sure if you're familiar with that. So yep. so MITRE attack, we mapped tests back to MITRE's attack framework. Uh, so they, they've done a great work of building a taxonomy or classes of attacks, and we've built unit tests essentially for that. So the idea is like, hey, if you if you see an attack in the MITRE framework and you want to know how to test it or how to run it or what does it look like, then we've got test cases on the atomic red team that somebody could use to do that. So we think it gives people a chance to do a couple things like, one it demystifies the attack so people know a little bit about what it is and it's not not something that's out of their reach of understanding and then two it gives them the ability to generate that telemetry that in endpoint sensors should detect Uh, and then they could vary those tests you know as they need to on there but that's that's kind of the heart of atomic red team is we're hoping for community feedback like put something out there that people can use to really test more often than just waiting for like a pen test or red team engagement like these are tests you could run and schedule uh, weekly, daily, uh, in your environment. So, yeah, I know I always run into the problem where um, you put in a new technology,
0: or uh, you know, you build a new role in your sim or something like that, and you're like, okay. Um, "Well, okay, I'm just going to sit here and wait, and I'm, I'm going to hope that that something yep. happens, right? And yep. I'm going to sit and I'm going to look and I'm going to wait, yep. and then you know, most often, you know, nothing happens, yep. right? Uh, and that's never a good feeling because you don't know if it really works. Right. Exactly. Um, you know, and from my perspective, you know, you put in controls, and you're not doing an effective job of man- managing your controls if you can't, um, you know, put a metric around it. Right. If you can't test it, yep. if you can't make sure that it's exactly. working the right way. Exactly. Um, so I think it's a really cool idea that you guys came up with to, to yeah, try to do that kind of test. It's
2: been fun, like you said. Like we don't want people to wait for something horrible to happen until to find out there's a misconfiguration or something not set properly. Like like. Find out early and often. Generate that noise. Generate those tracks that you can trace through your environment. Make sure you can pivot from one event to another event. Like uh, that's kind of the heart of, of the project. So yeah,
0: awesome. So th- these unit tests. What what makes up the test? Is it a um, a description of what you should be doing to do the test? Is it uh, scripts or tools or other things like that that you can use to to implement the actual test? Yeah.
2: So it's yeah. It's a good question. So it's a little bit of both. So each test comes with a description and a mapping back to the MITRE framework. So you can go get more information. We've kind of pushed that back to MITRE. They own the the descriptions and taxonomy, but then the actual test is usually a command line or a batch file or a PowerShell script that actually invokes the action that you're trying to detect. So like, Redsurf32 is one that we use, which is like a built-in Microsoft tool that reaches out and pulls down a payload. So we've got all of that on GitHub, so it's all sort of self-contained, so you could run that attack and test it. Uh, so, yeah, so there's there's a little bit of both, a description and then also the actual payloads. And then we've created something called, we call them chain reactions, sort of keying off the nuclear theme. But the idea <laughs> is like, um, what if, what if I wanted to emulate a particular actor? So... Mitre's done a good job of tracking groups. So you can say like this, you know, whatever APT3 is doing, they've got some good stuff. So you could go and actually see like, okay, these are the, these are the actions they take, and then we could chain those together in a chain reaction and run that test to see how, how would we do against somebody using this sequence of events or these particular techniques, so.
0: Yeah. And are,
2: are these all made to
0: run, say, against a single host? Or is it, uh, you know, you mentioned uh, lateral movement earlier, yep. Um, are some of them designed where you know you'd go from several hosts or you know, things like that?
2: Yeah, most of it, I mean the idea is it could be one or many. The idea is run these tests on anything that you've instrumented with your endpoint software. So whatever you're using it for detection on endpoint, whether it's uh, you know basic uh, open source things or something that you've purchased, uh, the idea is ideally it's just there's really very little setup. So we use sort of a living off the land approach for a lot of these attacks. So. There's nothing to install. There's no binaries to compile. You can just run these tests uh, right off a single host. Or if you, if you wanted to test lateral movement, obviously you'd test multiple systems, but you'd, you would hope that all of those are instrumented to, you know, collect the test data. So you right. could see the pivot or the, the movement. So yep. and, and how many tests do you guys have at this point? I think we have about 93 test cases wow. across Mac, Windows, and Linux. Uh, we're pretty heavy on the Windows side. I think that's my background. Mike, uh, my colleague who's helped with this tremendously, is also working on getting some more Mac or OS X uh, tradecraft in there as well. So, yeah. That's awesome. Yep. Um,
0: and so, what's, what's sort of the future that you guys see uh, for this? Obviously, you, know, you mentioned earlier putting out to the community for yep. uh, input and other things like that. Um, are you going to continue to build this? Or are you looking to? Uh, you know, collaborate with people sure
2: yeah I mean a couple of things that we want to do one is one we want to get better technique coverage I think miners at 183 or something techniques we want to push into that more some things we just can't do uh, but we want to cover what we can like, like for example we can't really write firmware boot kits <laughs> and distribute those although that's a technique we're just not gonna play in that space right. but there's other coverage like maybe token manipulation that we don't have that we want to add Uh, So technique coverage is one and then Mike and I are working on a what's called we're calling a framework uh, like menu driven Capability so right now these scripts are very ad hoc and we really want some sort of a harness that somebody could go in and say I want to run this 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 and think more like a Metasploit or PowerShell Empire some sort of menu driven framework where they could run those test cases and uh, generate the telemetry they need. So that's just something we need to build into it to, to pull it all together into a single framework with, with some good ASCII art, I'm sure, too. Right. So, yeah, <laughs> Yeah. so uh, yeah.
0: you mentioned that, and um, I know MITRE recently came out with um, a tool called Caldera, Yes. Um, which I think is is trying to do some of the similar things that you guys yep. are doing, trying to do some of these tests um, and, and make it more of a, um, like a Metasploit, a tool framework yep. that you can put agents out and then and run these tests across various different, um, areas, um, sort of two things on that. Or is that something that is sort of, um, helpful to you guys? Is it, um, duplicative of what you guys are already doing? And, and are you working with those, with the guys at MITRE uh, the we're, we're, Well,
2: we're, not, we're, we're in conversations with MITRE? We're not, I mean, we're not working directly with them. We've submitted some techniques. I've submitted some techniques personally. Red Canary submitted some techniques. Uh, Caldera has, uh, some requirements for infrastructure to stand up. Uh, and so that may be for maybe a more mature shop that can build out and do some more DevOps like secops type work with those uh, that infrastructure to build the testing infrastructure. we sort of have in mind or heart this small security team that doesn't maybe have the capability to go stand up infrastructure monitor infrastructure uh, and they can go ahead and just you know run these test cases so I think there's probably a place for both we We haven't uh, worked too much with Caldera at all, uh, but we're familiar with the you know the product they're putting out so nice yep um so one of the other reasons that
0: we wanted to get together is that you are um you're going to be putting together a class for uh, rocky mountain information security conference on the pre-conference day yep. uh half half day class talking about um, atomic red team uh, i wonder if you could talk a little bit about sure what people could expect from that and, yeah. and what sort of uh you know maybe who should take it um, what they might learn from it, okay. that kind of thing. Yeah, we,
2: well, I think, I think this, I'm super excited that we have the chance to do this class. So we're doing a free uh, four hour workshop on this. So um, I don't know how many seats we'll have, but we're super excited. We'll have a couple instructors there to cover the class. But the idea is um, what we think it's more for practitioners. So people that would be actually running these tests uh, and collecting the data, although it would also be good for people who are making strategic decisions about, you know, how do they test their products and things like that. Uh, the class itself is going to be quite a bit of hands-on. We'll have some lecture on background, and we'll go over the specific techniques. Like, you know, if, you, if there's a technique that we're going to run a test for, we want to make sure everybody understands what it is instead of just running a test case. So we'll dive deep into, you know, maybe a dozen or so techniques. Uh, then we'll look at measurement and collection. So what, what do you do with the data? So you've run the test. How do you know where it ran? Uh, what what telemetry did it generate? And then run, you know, maybe you missed it. Run the test again. Go back and measure yourself. Uh, and then, lastly, we have what we're calling like a capstone, which is going to be like take some threat reports that you see, like recent threat reports, and build out those chain reactions. And that's something that we want students to be able to do. So we've got like three or four reports that we can model after on uh, different threat actors, their techniques, and then you know people will walk away from the class with an actual you know capability to run those tests on their systems at work with permission, of course. But you know, because right. th- these tests obviously model adversary activity, but they would come away with some actual test cases that they've written and feel comfortable using the framework. That's kind of the objective. And so it's a lot to cover in four hours, but we're pretty excited about it. And I think it'll be really a lot of fun. So
0: yeah, that's awesome. I'm, yep. I'm really glad you guys are gonna be able to come and, and do that as yep. part of the conference. should be exciting. Um, so for those of you that want more information on that class, you can go to rmisc.org uh, check that out. Um, one thing I, I guess I didn't ask earlier is if people want more information on the atomic, uh, framework itself. Yep. Uh, do you guys have a site? set up Yeah. For that? So we've
2: got a couple of sites. It's on it's on GitHub uh, GitHub.com Red Canary Co. Uh, and then there's a top. Atom- that's where the actual repo is. Atomic Red Team. And then on the Red Canary page under Resources, we've got some Atomic. Like we've done a couple of webinars and training. So there's a place where people can get more information right off of the redcanary.com page, page. Uh, resources and then the Atomic Red Team uh, from there. So, nice yep.
0: and. Can folks contribute directly to that GitHub page? Yes. Is...
2: Yep, absolutely. Yeah. We're so we're following the model where we accept pull requests. So we expect people to sort of fork the project, edit it, and then submit back into uh, you know, submit pull requests back to us and we'll accept those and merge those as as we see that they may, they fit. So we've had some good good feedback. Like a couple of external folks have given us some good Linux and Mac tradecraft awesome. uh, that we've been able to add in there. So it's been good. Really yeah, that, that's really good. good. Yeah, so. I'm interested to see that grow. Yeah, I'm excited. We've got uh, good following and good feedback so far. So we're hoping, hoping to continue to get that feedback and improve as we need to. So, yeah. Yep. So, uh, obviously, uh, the
0: atomic framework is one big thing that you're working on. Yep. Um, is there other uh, interesting research that you're doing as, as part of your job here? Or or yeah. maybe even other cool research yeah, that you're no, doing? Yeah, that's not so, yeah, a couple related?
2: things that I'm always interested in, like lately I've been really interested in telemetry collection because we, um, as defenders, we're we're putting a lot of capabilities into, um, endpoint collection. Yeah. And so one of the areas I'm researching would be things like telemetry disruption or tampering, mm. you know, so what assurances do you have, uh, that the data streaming off the box is actually, you know, it's a hard problem. Like the absence of telemetry, uh, is the box down, did right? It, was it, did an attacker take it down? What happened? You know, like those are some areas we're pushing into a little bit to try and understand, like, um, What assurances do we have that endpoint collection is is accurate and and not been tampered with? Uh, So, you know, how do you trust a compromised host, right? That's sort of the the challenge that sometimes we face with, like, EDR. Uh, At some point, you have to realize you're not going to catch everything, but you're going to catch the bulk of things, right? There may be a a set of Apex actors that you just may not see, uh, but you're going to see a lot of other things. So just kind of pushing into that, like, telemetry collection. Assurance, I guess. I don't know. I don't really have a name for it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's sort of that next level, right? Because
0: um, it, sort of in the, the old days, it was, well, hey, you've got to get all your data off of the, the box so that right. no one can mess, mess with it, Right. Right. Um, but now, especially with more more data being on the endpoint itself, yep. you know, EDR agents being on the endpoint itself, everything is kind of right there. Not that right. you're not centrally collecting it also, right. um, but, you know, there, there's a lot more, um, you know, sort of attack surface, I guess, yep. on, on the boxes themselves.
2: Yeah, and, and I think especially like, like depending on what, what you're collecting, like, um, let's say, for example, you're collecting PowerShell logging. Uh, that Recently, uh, one of... Uh, the folks at spectra ops released a tool that that blocks logging in like four lines of code, you know, so like turn on PowerShell, kill logging, do your thing and then disappear. And, but then for the other PowerShell processes logging would work fine. So those are the kind of things we're trying to look into. Like, how would you know when that happened or
0: yeah. And I I don't know if it was that one or something else, but there's something else that came out recently. I think it might've even been for windows event logs where there is something that you could do that, I'll say in quotes, was undetectable hmm. um, that would turn the logs off. You know, there was some- There's some, a couple tools- that There's some that. code that would run yep. um, and turn the logs off, but also not log that the, the logs had been turned yeah, off. Yeah, there's right? a
2: couple of the tools. There were some tool sets that were released earlier this year, or I guess 2017, that had the capability to edit event logs, so selectively delete events. Yeah um or like mimi cats has the ability to turn off like logging so just stomp logging at, at some point and just stop stop the stream so i mean i'm certainly that attackers are going that route because if you're dependent on logs for detection uh they're going to try and circumvent or tamper with those logs to to evade your detections so trying, yeah. to, trying to just keep that you know like understanding where they're moving with their te- telemetry disruption it's kind of an interesting area so.
0: Have you guys ever seen anybody, um, you're talking about, you know, disrupting the stuff that you know is coming, have you seen anybody, you know, either sending false flags, or, you know, other stuff like that trying to throw you guys off because, mm-hmm. um, you know, they know stuff's being collected, but, um, you know, maybe it'll lead you in the wrong direction if, they, if you think something else is happening?
2: Yeah, but... I haven't seen, I haven't seen that, uh, like false flags, i have certainly seen people trying to blend in, yeah. uh, so that what they're doing looks normal, but I haven't seen any sort of false flags, like, hey, you know, I did this thing, but really I did this thing over here. I haven't, I haven't encountered that yet. So, yeah. but it's certainly been the realm of possibility. So yep. cool. Yep. Um,
0: so uh, what other kind of stuff are you guys seeing in, in terms of um, where attackers are going, what they're doing? Uh, sure. your, I- interesting detections that you've, you've seen or encountered.
2: Yeah. So uh, one thing we've seen, and this has probably been in the last year or two years, we've seen a big uptick in living off the land. So less attacks, usually malware more attackers using built-in operating system tools, PowerShell being a very popular tool or framework. Uh, other tools, RedSurf32 uh, is another tool that people will use to run what's these, these things called Calm Scriptlets. I don't know if you've seen like Nick Carr on Twitter has like a daily scriptlet or John Lambert from Microsoft. <laughs> it's kind of this old technology, like from the you know late 90s, early 2000s, Calm, Calm Scriptlets were like this thing you could Uh, you could get to register on the system and run so we're seeing like a resurgence of some like VB script and J script like like it's kind of interesting that that's come back around but I think people are I think attackers are seeing there's a lot of binary scrutiny so if you're gonna drop a binary on disk um, there's either application whitelisting or there's endpoint telemetry or virus total or or, you know sort of you know like reputation being one like has anyone ever seen this binary if it's only one computer in the world (laughs) Why am I running this thing, right? So right. so I think, I think attackers are trying to get more creative in ways to evade. So we, I, that living off the land, if you can get like, for example, a Microsoft trusted tool to do something malicious, then well, that's <laughs> that's baked into the operating system. You didn't have to bring anything with you necessarily except for a text file or XML file. So those are probably some yeah. of the interesting things we've seen in the last couple of years, I think, just the attackers using those, that tradecraft, so. Um,
0: yeah, and I, I've heard a, a lot lately of different strains of ransomware that are, you know, using stuff like PS exec to push itself around. You know, it doesn't need to worry about um, actually trying to, you know, connect to these other machines through some of the events just, well, I'll just push myself around through PS
2: exec, run myself wherever I need to run. Yep. PS exec is one. There's uh, some ransomware that's using... there's a there's a tool I think it's crypt.exe that you typically use to encrypt files like through Windows and TFS. Yeah. Uh, but there's they can use that tool built in to encrypt. Uh, you know, like they don't have to bring their or They just can you know, run this tool. To uh, it, there's some other things like cert utils, another one that they can use to, like encode and decode files in base 64. Like there's just a lot of things that are available on the OS that they don't have to write themselves. So functionality.
0: Yeah. That. That reminds me i was just I was playing around the other day um with uh virtual uh, microsoft virtual discs encrypted with bitlocker
2: okay yeah
0: um i, I can see where uh, you know somebody using ransomware could could get on your system create a virtual disc shove all your stuff in there and then Lock encrypt it with up. bitlocker yeah all stuff that's available in windows right the right. you know, tools that you yep. that you want to use yeah and now all of a sudden all your stuff's locked up
2: yeah it's grim so I haven't, I haven't seen that, but yeah, that's 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 a kind of a scary thought for sure. So yeah, uh, that's no fun. Yeah. yeah, so I think I think th- those are things that we've seen. Attackers are are always innovating, always trying to find you know push push the new thing and you know leaning into trying to understand those detections and what tools are they using in strange ways, like weird command lines or you know things connecting to the network out of system thirty two on Windows, for example, that maybe shouldn't be. Right that kind of thing. So.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, and then even beyond that, uh, you know, lots of, I've seen more memory attacks too, yep. right? So it's, yep. you're just, you're pulling down something directly into memory. Right. Letting it run
2: there. Yep. You know, PowerShell scriptlets, stuff like yep. that. Yep. PowerShell is very common for that. Exactly. So yeah, try and stay off the disk. Cause again, the disk has been, you know, instrumented for so long to detect a new file, writes, file modifications. Yep. So the less they can write or expose themselves at, at the disk level, then they'll just stay in memory. So they may not, they may not care about persistence, right? If they can conduct the attack within hours, then they don't care if that system reboots or persisting. And right. so, yeah, it just depends on their objectives.
0: Certainly. So
2: so what do you tell somebody to combat that kind of stuff? Is it, you know, is it
0: PowerShell logging? Is it, uh, you know,
2: yeah. I mean, there's, that's a good question. Like, I, I mean, like to combat the living off the land sort of a thing. Yeah. Is, yeah. A lot of it boils down to detection. Like for windows, for example, there's a great place like Sysmon a really good tool to start getting that endpoint telemetry. So you understand like what's happening with the process, create event, what's the process ancestry, like who spawned it, for example, like why did Microsoft word spawn PowerShell, right? Yeah. That so those relationships can be picked up with a tool like Sysmon. I mean, that, and that's a free tool. So I always tell people start, start with some point some form of collection to understand like, uh, and then I know, it, I don't want to sound glib, but everybody talks about building a baseline, but at some point you do actually need to collect and understand like once you're getting that process data, uh, you do need to actually run and say like, well, how often does PS exec run in our network, for example? And yep. do I want to be alerted if a non-admin runs PS exec? Those are the kind of things that we have to start looking at because it's not just always about dropping a binary and running it. So. Um, I'm also a big advocate of application whitelisting. Uh, I, I talk all the time about it. Like AppLocker, Device Guard for Windows are great tools. Like uh, unknown, untrusted things don't run. You know, and you can build rules and say, you know, don't. You know, if I want to block this, or uh, Microsoft has a tool called EMATS, which is pretty cool. Yeah. That has an attack surface reduction feature that actually allows you to say don't let this like red Surf 32 load this DLL. So you can get really granular with some rules and, and block some attacks that way. So there's some, there's some good stuff out there. Like, uh, you know, like I said, like Sysmon, AppLocker are, are good to explore. So I know there's quite a bit to deploy those, but they do go a long way to stop a lot of attacks.
0: Yeah, so. you know, and I, I know you guys focus a lot on uh, you guys being Red Canary, focus on um, you know, so your your smaller, medium-sized business, not necessarily the gigantic uh, enterprise companies. Do you have? Do you think that those kind of security teams uh, have the resources and skills to to do the the Sysmon type work or you know, I, other things like that?
2: I, I I think they do. I think I think like we've seen like being able to pipe like event logs into Splunk or something. Like I feel like uh, if as long as you know a mid-sized or a larger organization would definitely have. The capability to do that some of the smaller shops it's just hard and that's where we can kind of come in and help augment some of that and say hey, you know we can if, we, if you can get us the telemetry we can help with the detections um, but it, it is kind of hard i think for some of those smaller shops to to do that but even if you even locally like just starting to understand like say you have 100 machines like sysmon would be really easy to push out uh you know and, and then start feeding that to some sort of event log collection and start looking at you know process starts it would be a great place to start there's there's some really good configs that uh, Swift on Security has created. I don't know if you're familiar with that Twitter account, but yep. uh, that account. There's some really good stuff on GitHub for like how to filter uh, so your Sysmon logs are you know minimal, so you can filter out things that are uh, you know op known good, so to speak. So I don't know. Yeah, I think it's possible. Cool. So, yep. Um, so. Uh, Anything else
0: that, that you've got going on? Cool research? Uh, are, you, are you talking anywhere else? Are you? Uh, no? Let's
2: see. I've got a couple of fun things coming up. I'm speaking at SparkCon, which is in uh, Bentonville in early April. Uh, I'm doing a talk called "Trusted Things That Execute Things." Uh, <laughs> it's my research on like uh, you know known known good binaries that do bad things, so to speak. Uh, and then I'm doing a talk in late April at the Blue Team Summit, and that's in Louisville for Sands. Uh, called winning with whitelisting. So hopefully nice. to dispel the myths of like, what does it take to actually win with whitelisting. Uh, so those are a couple things I've got. Then of course, the Rocky Mountain Information Security Conference, we've got our Atomic Red Team class. So those are kind of the big three that are in front of me right now. So super excited about that. So, awesome. Yeah. Um, I think that's most of the questions that great, I had. Okay, yeah, uh, awesome.
0: Anything else that you wanted to talk about before we get out of here? Uh,
2: no, I think, you know, if people are interested, I'm on Twitter at sub T. Feel free to connect with me. Uh, if you have questions or feedback on anything we're working on, it's a good way to, to find me. So, uh, yeah, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. We're super excited about this. So. Awesome. We're really yep.
0: excited to have you at uh, Rocky Mountain Information Security Conference. Yep. Um, everybody should go out there and, and sign up for the class. Yeah, it should be um, great. And, uh, you know, if you guys have the the desire and the skills, go out there and get some pull requests on the the Atomic Red Team tests and and help contribute
2: to that, too. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be awesome. Thank you.
0: Awesome. Great. Well, Appreciate your time. Thank you very much. This has been Colorado Equals Security, and we'll talk to you next time.